Today's show is sponsored by Malwarebytes, modern cybersecurity that eliminates the online threats traditional security software misses. Get with the times. Get Malwarebytes for business. Learn more at Malwarebytes.com. That's Malware, B-Y-T-E-S, dot com. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, April 6th. In today's news, Scotland's chief medical officer is forced to resign for violating her own guidelines to stay home. A tiger tests positive for the coronavirus as Texas musters rangers to protect the border with Louisiana. And this contagion is creating conflicts for churches during a holy week when people seek solace. But first, the big idea. Americans are being advised to steel ourselves for one of the most agonizing weeks of our lifetime, if not U.S. history. The dead in the United States already number more than 9,500, triple the toll of the terrorist attacks of September 11th. U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams reached back further and says as the country surpasses 333,000 confirmed cases that this week is going to feel like Pearl Harbor. The virus is transforming life not just here but globally, sending Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson to the hospital on Sunday, 10 days after he learned of his positive test. He's had a fever and a doctor said he could no longer stay safely home. The news jolted the United Kingdom, which has recorded more than 48,000 cases and nearly 5,000 deaths. Queen Elizabeth II, in a rare televised address, urged resolve. She said the moment recalls her first public speech in 1940, 80 years ago, as she addressed children evacuated from their homes because of World War II. Today, once again, she said from Windsor Castle, many will feel a painful sense of separation from their loved ones. Her own son, Prince Charles, got the virus, but has beat it. Trump chose different words, but sounded a similar note predicting a horrific number of deaths. Then he continued to tout hydroxychloroquine, an anti-malarial drug with promising but unproven effects for patients with COVID-19. He then acknowledged, quote, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. He said the federal government has purchased and stockpiled 29 million doses of the drug, and he later blocked Tony Fauci, our nation's top infectious disease expert, from answering a question from a reporter about the treatment course. Fauci has privately said that it's not proven and it doesn't make sense for government to be stockpiling this drug. Trump also revealed that more than 1.6 million tests have now been conducted in a country of about 330 million. But places hit hardest by the outbreak continue to report shortages of critical medical equipment, including ventilators, which is moving some states to undertake ad hoc efforts to share the life-saving breathing devices. Governor Jay Inslee from Washington said Sunday that he'll return more than 400 ventilators to the national stockpile so that they can be used by states facing more dire circumstances. He did that a day after Oregon prepared to dispatch 140 of its ventilators to New York. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards said he expects his state to exhaust its supply of the machines as soon as Thursday, with ICU beds running out two days later. Still the worst area of the American outbreak, New York, topped 4,000 deaths on Sunday. And the state's governor, Andrew Cuomo, said there are hopeful, though inconclusive, signs that they are reaching the peak. There were fewer fatalities Saturday than Friday. Tony Fauci said the measure he's attuned to nationally is the increase in new cases, predicting the death toll, which he calls a lagging indicator, would continue to climb even after the country successfully slows the spread of the outbreak. 
In addition to places such as New Jersey and Louisiana, where cases have surged rapidly, Debbie Burks, the coordinator of the White House task force, said over the weekend that she's concerned about emerging hotspots in Pennsylvania and Colorado, as well as Washington, D.C. Pennsylvania has now reported more than 11,500 cases, more than doubling in the four days since Governor Tom Wolf issued a statewide stay-at-home order. Meanwhile, eight Republican governors have yet to call for all their residents to shelter in place. Burks who's made clear that she thinks they should, said that even critical activities should be curtailed if possible for a while. She said you should not go to the grocery store or the pharmacy if you can at all avoid it. Sadly, many Americans are dying of COVID-19 but being left out of the official counts. The CDC only includes deaths in which the presence of the coronavirus has been confirmed by a laboratory test. The CDC itself acknowledges this leads to a significant undercount. How big? No one can say. But a widespread lack of access to testing in the early weeks of the outbreak means people with respiratory illnesses died without being counted. Even now, funeral directors, medical examiners, and nursing home representatives say that a lot of people who are dying at home or in overburdened nursing homes aren't being tested and then aren't being counted. Postmortem testing by medical examiners varies widely across the country, and some officials say testing the dead is a misuse of scarce resources that should be used on the living. In addition, some people who have the virus test negative, experts note. As a result, public health officials and government leaders lack a complete view of this pandemic's toll as they assess its course and scramble to respond. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, This outbreak continues to be especially hard for the frontline medical workers all around the world. We talked to a Chicago anesthesiologist about what it's like to intubate a COVID-19 patient. Corey Debergrave said it's like being right next to a nuclear reactor. He's often the last person some of these patients will ever see and the last voice they hear because even if he intubates them properly, they may not survive. A lot of people never come off the ventilator. It's the reality of the virus. And he forces himself to think about that for a few seconds each time he walks into the ICU to do an intubation. That's all he does now. He puts tubes in the airways of people with the coronavirus. He does it 14 hours a night, six nights a week. When patients aren't getting enough oxygen, he places the tube down their airway so that they can get on the ventilator. It buys the body time to fight the virus. It's also probably the most dangerous procedure a doctor can do when it comes to personal exposure. He's getting within a few inches of a patient's face. He's leaning in toward the mouth. He's placing his fingers on their gums to open up the airwaves. All it takes is a cough or a gag. If anything goes badly, the room will be full of the virus. He tries not to dwell on it, even though he has his own breathing problems and has to use an inhaler. But he volunteered for this duty because he is only 33 years old And he doesn't have any children, so he feels he's more expendable than his colleagues. Meanwhile, Lisa Ewald, a Michigan ER nurse, died alone at home from the virus. She'd been on the front lines at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, which had become a hotspot. She's been treating patients, but a friend found her dead a day after she was last heard from and didn't report to work. It was four days before her 54th birthday. The staff of the New York hospitals in the Mount Sinai network will finally get tested for the virus after one of their colleagues, a nurse named Caius Kelly, died from the virus. 
Italy has now lost at least 80 doctors and 21 nurses to this virus. More than 12,000 Italian healthcare workers have tested positive. The stress and fear are taking an immense psychological toll. We've seen a growing number of suicides by medical professionals over there. Experts worry that is going to happen here. And Scotland's chief medical officer resigned under pressure late last night for violating her own guidance and orders to stay home. Catherine Calderwood acknowledged that she visited her second home on two occasions during the country's lockdown, despite mandating that other people limit their non-essential movements and stay at home to stop the spread. Photos of her and her family at their second home in Earls Ferry, more than an hour drive from her normal residence in Edinburgh, were published in the Scottish Sun. And then Scottish police confirmed that officers visited her at the vacation home and issued a warning citation. Number two, the state of Texas is going to begin screening all drivers who enter the state from virus-stricken Louisiana. This is the next frontier of this. This is where this is heading. The governor, Greg Abbott, announced last night that he will enforce a mandatory two-week quarantine on anyone coming from the neighboring state. Law enforcement officers will operate screening stations at the state line, along interstate roads and highways, and all drivers coming from Louisiana will be required to fill out forms with personal information, including a designated quarantine location. Texas Rangers say they'll then conduct unannounced visits to quarantine sites to enforce that 14-day isolation period. Travelers are allowed to leave their homes or hotels only to seek medical attention or to leave Texas. Rhode Island has drawn outrage by announcing similar targeted restrictions on all drivers with New York license plates. Under pressure, the governor of Rhode Island extended that order to apply to all motorists entering from any state and to target people at vacation homes and and Airbnbs who have non-Rhode Island plates. More sad news, and there's a lot of it. In Chicago, the virus is killing African-American residents at disproportionately high rates. While the city's population is 29% African-American, African-Americans have accounted for 70% of virus-related fatalities. Men continue to die at much higher rates than women in the U.S., something we've seen elsewhere around the world. And we're getting new evidence of just how contagious this disease really is. Yesterday, a tiger at the Bronx Zoo became the first U.S. animal to test positive. Nadia, a four-year-old female tiger, was tested out of an abundance of caution after coming into contact with an infected staffer who was asymptomatic at the time and then got sick a few days later. Number three, Pastor Dan Ostring in Sacramento, California, promised parishioners that as Christians began marking their holiest week on this Palm Sunday, the Rivers of Living Water Church would be open for fellowship, song, and sermon that they've always celebrated together. He kept that pledge despite receiving hate mail all week warning that he would burn in hell if he opened the cross-covered doors of his tiny church. A few miles away, just across the wide American River, a church more than 100 times larger than his was shuttered late last month after scores of parishioners and a senior pastor tested positive for the coronavirus. A handful have died. Just seven people, including Ostring, took their places yesterday in five rows of pews, which made social distancing achievable almost by default. Communion was offered in tiny individual cups. The sermon didn't mention the pandemic. Instead, it focused on Christ's death and resurrection with Easter Sunday one week away. For the religious, one of the crueler elements of the coronavirus and its potent contagiousness is that places where people go in times of fear in search of solace in faith and in friends are closed in many states to stop the spread. 
Churches, temples, and other places of worship nationwide, where congregants sit close, take communion, share hugs and handshakes and pecks on the cheek, have served as hothouses for the virus. Religious gatherings have exacerbated outbreaks in cities big and small. Rural Minnesota has reported at least nine coronavirus cases tied to one church service. And 43 fell ill, one fatally, after attending a March 15th service at Life Church in Glenview, Illinois, a Chicago suburb. At least 10 members of the church have now tested positive. For Palm Sunday, I was able to join my home congregation in Apple Valley, Minnesota, via Zoom video conferencing. As my pastor sermonized yesterday, just as we must get through the betrayals of Thursday and the crucifixion of Friday to see the resurrection of Sunday, so too we cannot have life without death. Surrounded by darkness, though, we must still have hope. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, April 6th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's show is sponsored by Malwarebytes, modern cybersecurity that eliminates the online threats traditional security software misses. Get with the times. Get Malware Bytes for business. Learn more at Malwarebytes.com. That's Malware, B-Y-T-E-S, dot com.